This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Laura Luckman-Kelber. Laura is the CMO of Flexera and previously served as the Executive Vice President and Managing Director for Strategy at Merge. On this episode, Laura discusses how to be more useful to your audience as a marketer and why that's so important. She also discusses the power of aligning your entire organization around marketing, why good technology is essential for creating good work, how to rebrand a unicorn, and much more. As usual, here are just a few highlights from this episode. We are diminishing our IQs by 10% by how we are using technology today and how we communicate today because we are taking in so much information all the time that none of us, CFOs, CIOs included, cannot keep up. You need to be thinking about your product. You need to be thinking about your distribution. You need to be thinking about your pricing. All of those things are marketing. And if they don't align and sort of represent themselves effectively and accurately in your promotions or your communication, you're going to fail. Making a priority of talking to anyone and everyone you can about what your mission is and bringing them along is fundamental. A big thanks to Laura for coming on the show. So without further ado, here's our interview with Laura Luckman-Kelber, CMO of Flexera. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Laura, what's going on? Everything. <laughs> Everything. It's, a, it's another hectic day at a at a you know one of Chicago's hidden tech unicorns. So it's it's always fun and always fast paced. Well, you know this is an exciting episode for a lot of reasons, but also because we have a deep appreciation and love for IT here at Mission because we have an IT podcast as well. And I host both. So, you know, we, uh, we're going to get into a lot of marketing stuff, not a ton of IT stuff, although we might, you know, delve in there a little bit. But first, how did you get into marketing? Huh. Well, by trying stuff out, I started my career going to law school. <laughs> and decided that wasn't for me. And someone told me that events planning was a job, which I had <laughs> done in college. I didn't know it was a job. And so I started doing event planning and nonprofit, and it was not fast-paced enough for me. And I ended up getting my MBA and falling in love with marketing when I started at DDB. Chicago and the creativity and the thoughtfulness around it, it, it felt like I could always be in graduate school for the rest of my life, which I liked. 
That's an interesting way of looking at it. I've never heard someone say that. Did you find that the switch between like back and forth between the agency side to the operator side was something that was natural or challenging? So in the very beginning of my career, right after I got my MBA, I started on the operator or the client side at Discover. And it was too bureaucratic for me. It's a lovely place and I got to do a lot of fun stuff, but it was too big. And I ended up going back to the agency side right away. And I had been on the agency side until I got to Flexera for, I don't know, 20 plus years. And I think depending on the organization, it's not hard at all, right? So Flexera's culture is collaborative, creative, fast moving. There are It attracts a lot of lifelong learners and curious people. And so I think it, it actually depends on the culture, right? And so I found the right culture for me. And so it made it really easy. What an interesting insight that you could just build the culture, you know, similar to what, uh, to what you wanted or what you were used to. And that the, the thing that has made agencies great over time was the culture, not necessarily the, the business model, I would say, which I think is sometimes the, the tricky part about, you know, agencies is kind of the ebbs and flows of, you know, having a product that, you know, ends up just kind of being the people. Tell me a little bit about Flexera for our listeners who might not know, but also kind of what makes it special. So Flexera has grown very, very quickly with some not so sexy technology that works, <laughs> right? So, so we are, if, if I get real funny, it's all the stuff in an organization that usually like a CIO or CFO knows they need to think about and knows they need to sort of understand better and optimize better, but it's always the last thing on the list. And it's one of those things that if a CIO or CFO actually engages with us, they start to understand the value that we offer. So what we offer is showing large organizations how they can best optimize all of their software spend, whether it's on-premises or SaaS, in addition to that, most recently, we've acquired some of the leading cloud management players in the business, and we can now really help our clients figure out how do they manage this on-premises cloud thing to make sure that their businesses can move as fast as they need to move within the budget and timelines that they have, right? So we're, we're sort of like, I know we had a conversation once about the fundamentals of marketing. I feel like Flexera, what we offer is the fundamentals of what makes a business run today, which is technology. And so if, the, if your technology looks like your junk drawer in your house, you're in trouble. <laughs> so we sort of help you untangle that and make it work better for your business. And boy, do I have a messy junk drawer. <laughs> I love the I love uh I love that analogy. And with IT, it is not just one person's junk drawer. It is if you have 2000 employees, 2000 junk drawers that they now get to bring to work every day. I exactly. 
Exactly. And it, and it's, it's exponential every day because of bring your own device, bring your own software, all of the SaaS things happening. When we get into edge computing, it's even more complicated, right? It's just going to continue to be that way with IoT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And let's get into marketing to CIOs and CFOs and the types of folks that you're trying to reach. Historically, both groups, not exactly huge fans of marketing. Uh, not exactly huge fans of being sold to. How do you look at like the essential responsibilities, maybe of marketing in general, but also specifically within those kind of personas? We are diminishing our IQs by 10% by how we are using technology today and how we communicate today because we are taking in so much information all the time that None of us, CFOs, CIOs included, cannot keep up. And we have some biological sort of evolutionary tricks and things that we do as humans that help us navigate that. And it's if you know the idea of heuristics, right? We do a lot of heuristic analyses for UX and things like that. But, but you use your heuristics every day in your decision-making. And in order to help our customers and potential customers make better decisions, we need to have better marketing. And better marketing needs to be thoughtful. It needs to understand where your customer is at. It needs to meet them where they're at. And it needs to share something additive or something they can learn. Like if you think about it in the content world per se, the best type of content particularly what we offer are um, research studies that we source. And so we offer benchmarking data is a marketing tool for us, right? But it's useful. <laughs> you know, I, I see it as sort of useful, not fluff. You know, you, you hear a lot of words around, oh, just put some of that fluffy marketing language in. That, that's not marketing. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it might be like P.T. Barnum. But it's not marketing. Marketing needs to be thoughtful and useful and fundamental. And in addition to that, I think we've done ourselves a disservice as marketers. We've allowed the world to define marketing as just the communication of what we do. And in today's always on transparent world where you can find out anything about anybody or anything, you need to be thinking about your product. You need to be thinking about your distribution. You need to be thinking about your pricing. All of those things are marketing. And if they don't align and sort of represent themselves effectively and accurately in your promotions or your communication, you're going to fail. So, you know, I, I think it's a little kooky combo of sort of back to our fundamentals of what marketing is and should be. And also thinking about the world today and where people are and meeting them where they're at and being considerate of that. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you feel like, you know, C-level executives, if you're selling into the C-suite versus mid-market versus a little bit lower down to the, you know, director level versus to the end user, do you feel like that experience changes? Do you feel like we need to look at things differently as marketers? I think you need to look at the problems they're solving differently, right? So someone who's um, 
working with our technology on the front lines are trying to make sure the technology actually functions correctly and accurately. So they're going to ask questions about the code or about how long it takes to load something or how can you solve this integration problem, right? And so we have our community that's specifically geared toward helping that level person solve those level problems, right? And then generally a mid-market person is looking to connect the value that that frontline person is doing to what the business is doing. And so helping them to do that will be invaluable, right? So thinking through helping their team get stuff done quicker and better. What does that do for them? Well, it helps them actually prioritize higher value things in the organization and makes them more productive because no one's getting more money and more time today <laughs> or less complexity. So that middle line person is more about helping them make those connections and sort of clearing the deck for them and supporting them to make that next leap in their career. It's really thinking through this in a service model way. And then the C-suite, boy, you know, I'm there right now. And you are pulled in so many different directions, up and down, meaning, you know, conceptual creative thinking to how do we get someone a laptop quicker because our laptop went kaput or approving a PO or something like that, right? So you're doing that sort of mental agility all day long in the C-suite. No one's just sitting there in like an ivory tower anymore. So I think we need to acknowledge that everyone is in, sort of in the same boat about the amount and types of information they need to process during the day and how we help to communicate them. Um, it might be connecting with them at a different level, maybe with different language, maybe in different apertures of media, but conceptually, it's pretty much the same thing in the three buckets. You recently wrote an article about three lessons from rebranding a technology unicorn. And I love this idea because I think a lot of CMOs you know, come into a role and kind of see, read the tea leaves and figure out like, hey, maybe what the company has been for a long time to a bunch of people doesn't necessarily suit us to where we want to go. And not saying that that was the case of Flexera, but saying there, that's a common thing that we, of a lot of the CMOs and marketing leaders that we talk to. You know, you talked about three things in the article, uh, aligning yourself with the customer first, over communicate, and don't assume you're already known. Can you talk through why you, you wrote this piece and kind of share some more insights on, on why those three things were important? So the, the first thing, uh, I have to go back in time a little bit because this is a little bit ago. I know it was just published, but it was a little bit ago. Um, aligning with the customer. So <laughs> I almost hate talking about that anymore because if you are not as an organization, like not just marketing, if you are not aligning to your customer and every step of what you do, you are going to get eaten by Amazon <laughs> or someone like Amazon who is. Fundamentally, it always brings you back to, because, you know, relating back to the answer to the question before, 
you get so caught up in the language of your organization and the way the organization has done things over years. And because of the pace and complexity of what hits you um, is coming at you all the time, it's very easy to get stuck in a rut and think about things in one construct only. If you get out and even have a handful of conversations with your customers, it's going to make you realize, whoa, wait a minute. That's an interesting way to look at it, or I never thought about it that way, or hmm, maybe we need to rethink how we're framing something on our community. Maybe we need to offer a different way to engage and onboard with us, right? From buying us to onboarding us to make our customers' lives easier. And I say lives in particular because it's not just about their business and their and their work because today it's all one big mush. <laughs> yeah. So how do we help them make their their lives easier? So customer, if you stay grounded with your customer, you're you're always going to stay ahead, right? You're you're always going to stay ahead, and you're always going to be able to not only survive but thrive. So that's number one. I can't remember what the second one was. Can you remind me? Yeah, yeah. So well, I just want to expand on that a little bit. I recently talked with uh, the CEO of a company that just raised sizable rounds. They're, they're worth over a billion dollars now. And it was really interesting talking to the CEO and just kind of like doing the mental tally in your head of like how many times he said customer. And it's just so funny because I think if you, to your point, like it's a no brainer now. We talk about it all the time. We talk about it on the podcast. Marketers think about customer experience constantly. But this is kind of a new thing. And I think sometimes we forget that there's a lot of people who don't really think that way that are like product centric people. And I think that there's a lot of like CEOs specifically that it isn't doesn't come out of their mouth every two seconds. And that's the tough part as the CMO to be to be able to talk to your CEO and be like, I know you love the product because you created it. And I know that you constantly think about this thing all the time. But you need to be talking about, you know, our customers a third of the time, the product a third of the time, and our employees a third of the time or whatever, you know, metric that you kind of use. But I think that I think you're exactly right. It's like if you're not thinking about it, it's a no brainer. But there's also the other side of this where I think you I think we'd be surprised with how many leaders still aren't aligning themselves with the customer first. It is surprising to me. And I think because it, to me, it's an old idea. You know, I, I, I always say I was raised at DDB. And it was always all about the customer. <laughs> it was always about what's in it for me, right? It's an old idea. So it blows me away. But coming from a user experience place where I, I was at a user experience agency for a while, it was fascinating to me when you showed different coders, engineers, usability studies with people failing at what they built over and over again, it was like eye-opening for them and it blew me away. So I think in order to, to help those people come along, one, tactically, videos are a fantastic thing. So if, if I'm talking to some technical product folks or technology product folks who have this problem, I would suggest you know, usability testing is fast and cheap. <laughs> and really, like, you can't deny it. When you show someone who's built something, how many times someone fails at it, 
it really works. So just sort of getting giving a tactical suggestion <laughs> to people about it. But but I guess you're right. I, I think there probably are people that are not thinking about the customer anymore. And if they are, some of them are paying lip service. And that's a problem too, because it's not just about saying you're about the customer. You really have to shift the whole organization even to how you're like negotiating contracts in a B2B space, you have to think about every step in that journey to make sure it's customer friendly. It's a very different way of thinking about things, but it's the best way to stay ahead. Everybody's always asking, how do we stay ahead? How do we stay ahead? Well, offer what your customers are looking for. (laughs) I totally agree. So the second point that you talked about was over-communicating. And I thought that this is a really good point that you want to make sure that your reasons for rebranding are understood by everyone in the company from the board to directors down to the interns. And this is really an organizational change thing, right? Like this is not a pure marketing thing, but obviously it's internal marketing. Um, How did you do that? So I have a new executive assistant and she's like, Laura, when do you go to the bathroom? I I believe in the messiness of cross-functional collaboration. And when I say that, everybody also complains so much about meetings. But making a priority of talking to anyone and everyone you can about what your mission is and bringing them along is fundamental. And, And thinking about it from a marketer standpoint too, right? So empathy, empathy for the individuals in the organization and thinking about where they're coming from and understanding. I think the other piece this is a little bit of a tangent that I think new people, particularly maybe executives come in and they have huge goals and they want to make a mark. I think one big mistake executives do when they come in, and I'm generally hired to be a change agent, so I, I get it. They don't acknowledge that the people that built the company to where it is today did a pretty great job and they learned a lot and they know a lot and don't denigrate that because you're the new person and you've been tasked with doing all these new things and shifting the organization. We talked about that a little earlier. Listen more, speak less, right? So I just saw Hamilton and what Aaron Burr, listen more, speak less. Like that's a part of it. And just get out there. And, and, and also, I think documentation is a big thing. Actually writing down directionally where you want to go, sharing that over and over again consistently, using the same language. So again, you're using the same principles of reach and frequency with your internal audience. So have the same discipline. Did you develop like a, a plan for that? Did you have like a pitch deck? Like what, what were the assets that you were creating to make sure that you had stuff ready to go? I, I had one. So we did a lot of outside research and then internal workshops and building the new strategy. And I worked super collaboratively with the, the, the corporate strategy team here. And actually we developed the new corporate strategy with a lot of the insights from the brand strategy. And I helped write a couple of presentations that I just sort of roadshowed everywhere. And then my CEO would talk about it. You know, he would learn. He likes to speak. He like, he's amazing. 
He's really amazing. He likes to speak. He likes to support. He hires his team. He supports them. He lets them go. And so he listens to you and he supports you and he gives you a platform to speak. And he reinforces sort of that message as well. So there's multiple sort of writing techniques. So the, the PowerPoint decks, email, right? But email is not great. I think it's a lot of conversations. And then we use Teams here. So it's sort of like Slack for what instant messaging and having those sort of side conversations are helpful. So, so fun. It's like, just like getting in the trenches and like doing the work, having the conversations. It's not sexy. Some of it's fun. Like I got to get up and speak to the whole company at kickoff and launch our campaign. And it was, it was fabulous and fun. And I felt like a rock star, but you know, most of the work is done like late at night, writing stuff down, (laughs) researching, to connect the dots for people, like thinking how other people might think. And you know, I presented to our AC to give me more support because we have a brand awareness problem here at Flexera. And I thought about, okay, what's important to them? And how do I connect it back to what I'm doing, right? And presenting a specific deck for that. So multiple places, right? Using that reach idea and then some frequency. <laughs> so the third thing that you said in the article how to rebrand a technology unicorn was don't assume you're already known. So you got to know how your brand sits in the market and then you got to re- reestablish, you know, your brand as part of the rebranding process. You know, we've, we've had a lot of guests on here from Chris Lockett to Jennifer Johnson talking about category design, category creation as key tenets of, of the modern CMO. And some of that is, uh, and we've gotten into depth on that a ton. But some of that part is to, like Jennifer Johnson talked about how she sat down with the entire C-suite and said, tell me what you think this company means. Like, tell me what you think this company does. What were some of the things that you did to see how both internally it was talked about and then externally how other people saw it as you went on the road to, to do the rebranding? So I'm a big fan of workshops with the right people in the room because they manage hard to get time from hard to get people in a compressed timeline. So I I don't believe in long meetings. I don't believe in all day meetings. No one has that attention span anymore all the time. So I do a lot of prep work in advance with questionnaire, open-ended questionnaires are usually like five pages. I get what I get. I distill that add to it from some secondary research. And I go into a workshop super prepared with another list of like 20 questions that I may get to 10. And I think we had four workshops for Flexera. And then from those workshops, you, you start to get a sense of the internal perspective and start to frame out how you're going to get the external perspective. We had been talking about going to a new target for a long time, and that came out loud and clear from the uh, workshops we had here. And so we recruited based on the tar- the aspirational target we wanted for our research, and we did qualitative. Right? I'm a big fan of qualitative. I know, you know, my package good friends, they do this big, huge studies. They take like six months, and they have all this statistically significant data, and it's good for, for certain things, but you know, I find that you get a lot of great insight from some really solid and thoughtful qual. You get great verbatim and language that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And you get enough of a pattern to see directionally where you can go 
to sort of build out your strategy. So tactically, it was is workshops, really disciplined workshops with a lot of prep. Prep work is so important. I think people forget that. Like there are things that are not sexy and take a lot of time and like sit down and turn off your email, turn off your text messages and think about the questions that you want to ask and, and write them down, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're talking, you're talking to someone uh, who asks questions for a living. So I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think that there's so much prep that needs to be done to understand what types of questions, you know, there are, there's no such things as, as a bad interview, just bad questions. Right. Um, I think it's the same thing when asking questions for your customers or prospects or things like that. Like, you know, it's kind of garbage in garbage out if you're not asking the right things and you're not going to get those anecdotal pieces of evidence, especially because people buy for thousands of reasons, like people buy for reasons that they don't understand themselves. So, you know, if that's the case, then you need to ask really good questions. Is Do you have some like ways that you, you know, find those things? Are you searching on, uh, are, are, are you looking at different websites or uh, like, how are you kind of developing those sets of questions? when you're looking at customers? Oh God, I, I do all sorts of things. And then I rely on smarter people than me. <laughs> I, I have a former colleague who used to be the chief strategy officer of Leo Burnett worldwide. And now he has his own, he's, it's just, he's a one man band, but he's amazing. And um, he and I have a shorthand so we can move real fast together because we've worked together before. And so I'll do, my own sort of secondary and there's some go-tos around like I love CB insights. Their free content is some of the best content ever. We have some, you know, syndicated subscriptions like Gartner and Forrester and I always forget the name, serious decisions. And then I'm just sort of a I read, I probably read a book a week on different subjects, right? And if I sort of delve into an arena where I'm like, oh God, I don't know that much about that. I don't know what the word is. I mean, today, go out on Google's or the Chicago Public Library. If you have a library card, you can get everything online yeah. for free, right? So like be resourceful. <laughs> I just, I, there's no magic bullet. <laughs> That's I want people to understand. There's like no magic bullet. It's a little bit of like suffering through the mess. That's all. <laughs> what is your favorite campaign that you've ever done? Oh, that I've done? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I worked at a company called Translation. They're still around. They're based in Brooklyn now. They used to be in Midtown. Um, I opened up their Chicago office here. And a client of mine at DDB asked me to go work for them. State Farm, and uh, they were embarking on trying to better connect with younger people because younger people had no idea what a neighbor was. So the equity that they had in like a good neighbor State Farm is there and a State Farm agent had been sort of obliterated by the way the world works today and Geico, right? And so they wanted to make sure that they continue to have one in four Americans have State Farm auto insurance. And so they came to this agency called Translation, which was founded by a man named Steve Stout, who used to work in the hip hop world and part owned by Jay-Z. So really connected to pop culture. And they wanted us to really think through how could we better connect with this younger audience with what they had to offer. And I worked with some really smart people there. And 
we initially had an idea with Andy Samberg's production company and LeBron James. And I had, this is just sort of a funny story leading up to the campaign that I liked. And we had them booked for a Monday because we had to get production done. We were behind, of course, and we had to be on air like in several weeks because we had a high value spot on, um, on American Idol. And Friday, before the Monday, we were trying to get board approval from State Farm to do this spot. And I had two phones going. Like I had Steve, who was up with the board, and then I had my production people who were like, what are we doing? Are we letting him go? Are we not letting go? Are we shooting on Monday? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And we were pushing, pushing, pushing to do this because it really took them out of their comfort zone. But it would have been amazing. Oh, my God. It would have been like epic. Yeah. And Steve comes down and he says, Laura, they're not going to do it. I'm like, what? And he says, in a box. Oh, and I was no like, way. oh, no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just were not comfortable enough because of that happened. And they didn't want to have the guy who was associated with that skit associated with State Farm. And so I was totally bummed. So I, so I, call, I said, call it all off. We owed them a whole bunch of money. It was totally, totally insane. So we had to recover because we still had this, this spot we had to have we had to have live. So my team, super strategic, had um, thought of, okay, what if they sing the jingle? Because we were trying to reinvigorate the brand, right? What if they sing the jingle and it solves a problem? And you may have remembered, and I think it's on my LinkedIn profile, um, can I get a hot tub? And you sang a jingle and these young dudes, you know, hanging around, got a hot tub and it sort of obliterated their living room and appeared right there. And another spot was, can I get a hot guy? And it got a lot of, this was early in the days for social media buzz. It got a ton of social media buzz. We created t-shirts. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Also just the intensity and the adrenaline of trying to get this done in a good way <laughs> was memorable in itself. But I, I love that campaign because one, it was super thoughtful and strategic and really bridged that gap between the audience and what the product offered in a real way, in a genuine way. I'm not going to use the word authentic because I think it's destroyed right now, but in a genuine, real way, it connected with people. That is great. I love that. It's funny how many, we had something really similar happen where something happened in the news with, uh, with someone we were working with that was a celebrity. And uh, it's like, man, does this get shelved? It's like, no, it doesn't get shelved. It's still great. Uh, just let it roll. What about a campaign that you worked on that was your, maybe wasn't your favorite or, uh, or was the best learning experience? Oh, gosh. Well, that, that, what I just told you was a great learning experience. <laughs> okay, not a traditional campaign. So I've done a lot of direct response in my life. And I worked for Lens Crafters at a very small agency that was way in over its head. And I didn't realize that as a young pup going in, people listening to this, you know, we had $10 million in revenue and we had three people on the account. So imagine that I'm set up for failure right there. And because I was young and inexperienced and optimistic, I had no idea. So even working 80 hour weeks, literally, and living in uh, Cincinnati, because that's where Lens Crafters is. We, there was no way we we're going to, you know, help them. But we produced catalogs for them. And we produced these beautiful catalogs for them. And I 
had never done a catalog shoot and they're brutal, man. You, you shoot like 20 shots in a day. And I was used to doing print ads where maybe you did one in two days, right? This is the old school. And so I was just exhausted and you had no time. Like you had to get the shot right then and there. We had a model show up that we had selected and she had acne everywhere. These are face shots. (laughs) So um, what I learned was the magic of retouching (laughs) and the magic of distracting a client, I guess, right? Yeah. (laughs) And it worked out. I mean, it worked out. I mean, she had super smooth skin in this catalog. So, you know, I don't know if that's like disappointment in the campaign, but it was definitely lots of life lessons. Oh, that's great. Okay. Last question before we get into the lightning round. How do you feel about gig work uh, agencies? Yeah. How to work with the rise of how contractors changing extremely rapidly. Do you have any best practices on working with contractors and and getting great work and empowering them to do great work and not uh, making sure that that they feel you know happy and and productive and all those things. It's it's that same. I'm gonna sound like a broken record. It's tough because when you're when you're at the point where you get a contractor, you're like already on f- freaking flaming. The house is not only on fire, but the garage is on fire, and the neighbor is about to go on fire, right? And my advice to to contractors is to understand that that's usually the contract going in. And the more you can help your client get organized and focused and give you what you need, the better your experience will be and the more money you'll make, right? The more business you'll get. The more you enable your client to enable you, the better that relationship will go. On the flip side, clients, garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't pause even a minute (laughs) to write a brief, you're not going to get what you want. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be spinning, 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 and you'll wish you spent that hour writing that brief because you will spend 10 hours trying to redirect because no one can read minds. I wish I could. Like, there's a few things that I always talk about. Like, one, could I be a magician with physics and create time and space? And two, it would be really great to read, you know, do Vulcan mind melds and uh, be able to just instantly read people's minds, but that doesn't exist. (laughs) So, and then, and then agencies, you got to get more nimble folks. Uh, You know, the reason why I was successful in the agency is I, I didn't say not my job. I didn't say we're out of hours. Now you have to manage your financials, but you manage it in a way that is empathetic, (laughs) And you feel the pain that your client feels and you try and help them, not just with a campaign, but, you know, you might need to help them do some change management at their organization and be open to that. Let's get into the lightning round, fast and easy questions, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast, learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. Fast and easy questions. Laura, are you ready? Oh, I hope so. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? Spotify. What is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, somewhere I can surf. Favorite thing to cook or eat? Oh, hmm. Uh, I think Indian food. I don't. I don't like cooking it. It's because it's always better when someone else makes it. <laughs> that is very true. Do you have a favorite ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're envious of? 
Oh, gosh. Oh, I was just doing research for um, a presentation that I'm doing internally about the power of branding. And so I would have to say Nike is still sort of being relevant and smart. Favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Oh, I'm, li- I'm reading Brotopia right now, and it's so good. And then the book before that was um, They Asked Me to Come Alone. And I can't pronounce her last name. Her name is Suad McKennett. It's amazing. If you want to learn about like the rise of uh, ISIS, she, she's fearless, man. But Protopia is super amazing too. And I can't remember the author. Gosh. Emily Chang. Yeah, she's, she's super smart and fearless too. Most excited thing for the future of marketing? Oh, audio, like smart speakers. It's, it also terrifies me because I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Best advice for a first time head of marketing? I'm going to say Aaron Burr has the line, listen more, talk less. I love it. Laura, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Any uh, any final things, any things to plug? Everyone should check out flexair.com. Flexair.com and also check out our fabulous community. If you're really a tech geek, check out our community. It's, it's amazing and smart. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration 
and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.